0: Thank you, Graham. And uh, good afternoon, everybody again. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Hope you're all enjoying the sunshine. Uh, It's uh, fantastic, isn't it? Uh, Enjoy it while you can. This is England. It'll be raining shortly, so just enjoy the sunshine. Uh, So I want you to imagine uh, the scene, if you can. Uh, This is something that a guy called Austin Phelps has described for us. There's a man called Ethelfrith. Okay, now you may not be, you may not know Ethelfrith. Couldn't say it. Ethelfrith. Ethelfrith was a king. He was a Saxon king, so he's king of a place called Northumbria. That was a part of England back about over a thousand years ago. And Ethelfrith, uh, Ethelfrith, and his mates were going to. Uh, they've invaded Wales, so they've invaded Wales and they're about to give battle to the Welsh so you've got Ethel, Ethel Frith and his Saxon mates, and they've gone into Wales, they've invaded and uh, they're up against the Welsh and he's looking at the opposing army and and they're all spread out in front of him. And as he's looking, there's one group of people, he notices, who haven't got any swords or spears or anything like that. They're just totally unarmed. They're just sitting there, standing there, I suppose. Uh, and so Ethelred is like, oh, okay. And he asks, uh, who are those people? Who are those unarmed people? Uh, and he's told that those were the Christian monks from Bangor in Wales, Uh, And that they were there to pray for the success of their army. Ethelwith immediately understands the situation. And he turns to his mates and he says, right, attack them first. Get them first. They're the ones you need to get. Because he understood, even though he wasn't a Christian, he understood that uh, prayers have effect. Prayers are powerful. And he was more scared of them than he was of the armed soldiers in the, in the Welshman facing him. So, uh, that's just a bit of an intro to get us into the idea of prayer. Uh, we're continuing our studies in the book of Matthew. If you've been coming for the last few weeks now, you'll know we're looking at the book of Matthew and looking at what we've got in there, particularly this section called the Sermon on the Mount. We've already looked at a lot of teaching In part because there's just so much in there. It's just so packed with stuff. And last week we were looking at what Jesus had to say about giving and fasting. Uh, And verse 1 there, if you've got your Bible, do keep your your finger there in in chapter 6. Verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, your good deeds, before men to be seen by them. If you do... You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Just really thinking about how Jesus was saying why you do something in front of people really matters. And we looked at how Jesus applied that to giving in verses 1 to 4 and to fasting in verses 16 to 18. So what we're going to do is we're just going to have a little bit of a recap for a moment on uh, that idea in verse 1 just think about that for a minute before we go and think about prayer and what we're talking about with prayer uh, and Jesus was was overwhelmingly concerned with this idea of, of why are we doing our good deeds uh, remember back in chapter 5 Jesus had said do your uh, good deeds before others let your light shine before others and then in verse, six, verse 1 here he's saying be careful You're like, "Mm, what's going on? Is this some kind of weird thing going on? No, there's no contradiction here. Uh, What he's bothered about is the Jewish people of the time, particularly religious leaders, uh, they're giving and they're praying and they're fasting, all this part here, they were doing it for men's approval. They were doing it for the approval of men and not for the approval of God. They're doing it so people go, "Wow, wow, you pray really well, don't you? You're really good. You're really holy when you pray, or or you really give lots, don't you? Really, wow, you're always giving, or you're always fasting. You always look miserable when you're fasting, mind you, but you are always fasting. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, they have received their reward. What he means by that is that uh, the they've earned the appreciation of the people around them, but they haven't received any approval from God because they didn't desire God's approval. They're going to receive no reward from our Father in Heaven because they weren't looking for it. They've got the reward of the people around them. So then we looked at how Jesus applied that to giving and fasting. Uh, in both cases, he used this this phrase, this idea, uh, don't be like the hypocrites. Uh, that means don't wear a mask. Don't wear a mask when you're doing things. Don't be like one thing when you're in public and one thing in private. Be the real you, the real deal. And and Jesus said that we should not draw attention then to what we're doing when we give and fast. Uh, God knows what we're doing. He knows where our heart is. He knows what we're up to. And so we have to concentrate on that and not think about these other people around us. But we don't have to be careful of is when people start praising us and praising us and praising us and we start to look to them instead of to God and finally when we were looking at that idea last week we said you know you know, there's a lot of tension in that that's hard there's a lot of tension in that because, because on the one hand we want to do good works because Jesus has told us to do good works and we're going to do them in front of the people so that people can give glory to God not to ourselves, but, but how do you know where your motives are? How do you know how pure your motives are? So there's some tension there. It's hard. It's a hard balance. And we're only going to do it, we're only going to achieve it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only through that that we're going to do that. So Jesus talked about uh, giving and fasting, and that's what we uh, thought about last week. If you didn't catch it, then uh, you can catch up with it on the, on the website. I don't know if you know, but all of our sermons go up on the on the website. Uh, but this week we're looking at prayer. We're looking at that section from verse five down to verse uh, fifteen that Graham read for us. Uh, some of you will be very familiar with with uh, that section there from verses nine to to thirteen. But let's dig into it. Uh, it's all useful to us. Let's dig into it and see what. God has to tell us about it. So in this part of chapter 6 on prayer, we're going to think about three points Jesus made about how we pray and six points about what to pray. So if you're taking notes, you're going to get three three points on how to pray and six points on what to pray. So let's dig in. Let's get in there in terms of Three points about how to pray. And this is building on all that stuff from last week. This is building on all that stuff about uh, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. It's it's building on that. Uh, Number one, should we pray in secret? So uh, look there down into uh, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Should we pray in secret or should we pray in public? The answer is yes. He, uh, Jesus is more bothered about our hearts and where we are. He's bothered that we are sincere when we pray. Not, not, uh, not hypocrites, like he says there. If we need to be alone in order to do that, then that's great. Yes, be on, be on your own. If you can do that in public, in front of others, then that's good as well. Because when we pray together, uh, that has an important benefit for us. Uh, It's certainly, I think it's certainly true that you can say, yes, prayer is a good thing. Jesus prayed often, so we know it's a good thing. And certainly I I think it's fair to say that a Christian's prayer life should include some time that is personal. That's their own, where it's just them and their Father in Heaven. Now, when that is, how that is, it is whatever works for you. You can uh, pray in the morning, pray in the evening, uh, pray in the afternoon, pray in the middle of the night if you wake up. Uh, you can pray when you first wake up and you're in bed. You can pray when you're in the bath. You can pray when you're in the kitchen. You can pray when you're driving, as long as you don't close your eyes and concentrate on what you're doing. Uh, you can pray, you know, whatever works for you. What, whatever works for you. But, but just some time where it's just you and your Heavenly Father. Unrestricted. Undistracted. So you can just talk. And Jesus did this. He, he, he used to go off every now and again to somewhere quiet, and pray to his father in heaven, uh, and we do this don 't we if you want if you want to talk to someone about something perhaps personal you don 't do it in front of everyone, you go somewhere the two of you somewhere quiet to talk to each other, and that 's what you're doing when we're we 're praying to God in that sort of way that 's one on one and we 're praying together um, so just a thought for you, just some application for yourself here where, where is your quiet Place Where is your quiet time? Um, just set it out, whatever it is, wherever it may be. As I said, in bed, in the garden, beside your bed, in your workplace, wherever. Do you have to do this to be a Christian? No, let me be clear with you. I, um, we're saved because of our faith and our trust. In Jesus, we're saved because we've turned from our old life to follow him. So no, we don't have to do this to be a Christian, but every Christian who I know who does it uh, finds that their their prayer life is better, that they are healthier spiritually. I don't know anybody who's regretted it. I don't know anybody who thinks it's a waste of time. Uh, But... We do pray in public as well. Claire's just prayed for us very very well in public. Uh, here in church, we, pray, we may pray when we gather in friends' houses for our gospel communities or, or at other times. Uh, perhaps we pray with a group of friends in a coffee shop or something. This is all good. Uh, it's not that everyone feels comfortable with that. That's fine. Some people do not like speaking in public and they are quiet. That is good. But again the, the thing we've got to be aware of, go back to chapter six, verse one, is for is not to pray for the approval of others. But only praying for the approval of God. Uh, but it's important, it helps us all get on the same page. When we pray together, we get on the same page. We can express what would you say, spiritual solidarity. You know, we're all together in this. What do we want? Redemption when we want it now, you know. Um, you know we're all solid together. But we're pleading together to our heavenly King to say, "Please, will you do this?" Uh, or we're saying, "Thank you, together. Thank you for Baby you're being okay." Those prayers we just saying, fantastic. It is good to say those things together. Uh, and encountering God in this way is something that's very different to that one-on-one conversation. That, that, the, the prayer feels very different. It, it's a different kind of response. So I think it's very useful. And we know the early church did it. So we know this is a good thing. But we've got to be careful. If we're worried about our motives, if we think we're doing it for the approval of others, we've got to say, no, I'll just be quiet. And that's okay. So uh, we want to be sincere when we're praying. We also want to be uh, straightforward when we pray, uh, look with me there in verses uh, seven and eight. When you pray, uh, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus tells us that the people of other faiths, when they pray, just pray lots and lots of words uh, over and over again, or, or they can do. Certainly, at this time this was going on and presumably because they think the more often they say it the more likely their God is to grant their prayer or, or the more uh, fervently the more the, the, the more passionate they are about their prayer the more likely it is that God will grant their prayer. Jesus is saying God our Father is not like that. He is not like that. he, say, he says don't be like them you know don't have that attitude. Why not? He gives us the answer because you because your father knows what you need get this before you ask. He knows what you need before you ask. When I when I first read that and understand it, that just blew my mind away. That just that just absolutely blew my mind away. Now keep your finger in Matthew and turn over to Romans chapter eight with me. And let's just see how this works. So keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6, but turn over to Romans chapter 8. That's on page, uh, well we're actually on 1135 in the church bible. So Romans chapter 8, and this is verse, read from 26, let's see. So this is Paul writing to the people in in, uh, Rome the church in Rome this is what he said in the same way the spirit that's the the Holy Spirit the spirit of God helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will he says we don't know what to pray for. And, and we don't know what to pray for, do we? I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but you're praying, you know you want to pray something, and you're just like, God, I know I want to pray something, but I don't want to pray, you know, but I don't I don't know what to pray. My heart is, is burdened, my heart is is aching, but, but I don't know what to pray. And Jesus is saying, Don't worry. If you are a Christian and you're here today, do not worry because you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit knows your heart. The Holy Spirit hears your troubles and talks to God about them. Why can He talk to God about them? Because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God the Father are God all together. They've been talking to each other since the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time. They created time. They know each other so well. They know what each other thinks. They know what each other feels. They're so in touch with each other, and we have part of that inside of us. And that's something, I think many people, I don't, I don't, some, even some Christians don't necessarily uh, know. At the moment, someone puts their faith in Jesus and turns from following their own desires to following Him. At that moment, they have the Holy Spirit. And from that moment, they have a link to God, which is unique. It doesn't feel any different, of course, but people start to act differently. And so if we go back over, if we so from Romans verse 27, we say that, that the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. They know God the Father. They know what Christ has done for us. Uh, God the Father knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. Uh the holy spirit knows the mind of jesus jesus knows the minds of the of the father they and the holy spirit hears our groaning and our pain in our hearts our desires our agonies our fears our insecurities our love for god and they talk together and align and line it all up so our prayers are heard and so god hears our prayers sometimes when we pray I don't know if you've had this experience. Sometimes when we pray, you think, is God actually hearing me? You yeah, know, it feels like this is all kind of echoing in my head. A chap called John Altberg wrote, I thought this was great. He says, in the dark night, my prayers feel like they reach no higher than the ceiling. If we truly understand how radically present God is in our world, reaching the ceiling is more than high enough. Let me read that to you again. In the dark night, my prayers feel like they reach no higher than the ceiling. But if we truly understand how radically present God is in our world, reaching the ceiling is more than high enough. We don't need to babble because God knows what we need. Not always what we want, notice, but what we need. The Holy Spirit interprets that. God is such a God in that way, such a good God in that way. And that's where you see really the the three persons of the Holy Spirit, the the three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus working together. And that conversation that they've been having for all eternity, when we pray, that's like them inviting us to join that conversation. Say, come and talk to us. Come and talk together with us. So don't worry if you don't know what to pray or you trip over words or you don't use big Bible words. That's okay. God, your heavenly Father, knows what you need. Just speak normally. How do you speak to your father? To your own dad? How do you speak to him, whoever that is? Speak the same way as that to God. Uh, we talked about how we should be sincere, how we should be straightforward. We also, uh, in terms of our attitude when we pray, should have an attitude of forgiveness. And uh, notice Jesus, and, then, and again, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, when you've re- if you've read this passage of the Bible before. Look at verse 14 with me. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will will not forgive your sins that's the only part of the prayer that he's explained that's the only part of the, the the prayer from verse 9 to verse 13 that Jesus has felt he needs to explain to to his listeners and he warns the disciples doesn't he? he says he says he says that, that if we've not forgiven others we're not going to have our sins forgiven. And, this, this all, and forgiveness is a huge topic. We're only going to touch on this for a moment. There's, there's much more to say. Please don't think I'm telling you everything about forgiveness here. But forgiveness is a dangerous thing, it makes our hearts hard. It makes us feel resentful. One of our friends says that uh, unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment, anything like that, is like when you swallow poison and you expect the other person to die. That, that's the effect. You, know, you follow poison and that you expect them to die of course they don't then they're fine and it's you who is hurt it's you who is, is brought down that is what unforgiveness is like and this is one of Jesus's hardest commands I think forgiving others including your enemies say it quickly it yourself oh, forgive your enemies No, oh, that's easy no it isn't it's very hard um, but just because it's hard doesn't mean we ignore it just because it's hard. It doesn't mean we, we don't want to do it. In terms of our attitude to prayer, we need to have an attitude of of forgiveness. So so when we talk about our desires, when we pray and, and we need to be we need to be doing that with a sense of how much we have been forgiven already. If we really understood how bad our sin was if we really understood how much we had already been forgiven, then we would, we would be able to forgive anybody anything in that way. And I think that we are given, when, we, when someone becomes a Christian, I think they are given a sense of forgiveness. I think they're given a sense of thankfulness and forgiveness. Uh, my observation is that the, uh, many of my friends, when they've become Christians... Have suddenly gone back to old things done wrong and that sort of stuff, and have said, "You know what? That's okay. I can forgive that. I can move on past that." So I think that when we get faith, we we also get a bigger measure of an attitude of forgiveness. Um, so we have talked about our desires when we pray. We talked about our attitudes. Uh, now let's get into the actual content of what we pray. Let's think about the six things. That we're going to pray about. And these very handily uh, divide up into uh, two lumps. Um, Notice in verse 9. Just before we get into that. Notice verse 9. This then is how you should pray. So Jesus says this is how you should pray. I want to suggest to you that that Jesus is more concerned about what we just talked about. the, the, The attitude in our hearts. Than every exact word. This is a... This is a. This is Jesus teaching us. This is a template. This is a, uh, an example to follow. It is a good prayer, but there are many other good prayers built around these kind of building blocks. Um, so we're going to break it down. We're going to look at. We're going to look at six things we pray for. This is this is, divided up in a, a way a bloke called Hendrickson suggested. You could slice it and dice it lots of different ways, but this is what we're going to. Um, so first of all, there's three things that we pray about God, okay? So in terms of when we pray, we pray about, the first thing we do is pray about God. Uh, and these things are actually, when you read them in the original language, some of you will know this was originally a Greek book that's been translated into English, and uh, in the original language when you read these three things they're all commands they're all things you have to do you should do but we're praying them to God how does that work talk about that in a minute um, so first request uh, that we pray hallowed be your name hallowed be your name uh, hallowed means holy honoured be your name it's an old, old word I don't know if any of your kids were in Sparks last week, but the kids who were in Sparks last week, uh, uh, the kids who have just gone out, uh, were looking about names. They were thinking about their own name and what it means. Some of them have names that come from the Bible. Uh, Eli, Esther, Isaac, these are all names you'll find in the Bible and they all mean something uh, in the original language. Uh, And so the kids were having fun learning about what their names meant. And making the point that God's name is a name that we should honour and glorify, hold in reverence the very name of God. We shouldn't abuse the name of God. We should actually be lifting it up. It is actually a wonderful and a fantastic name. And and the prayer there, hallowed be your name, Is a prayer that we want, Is is praying we want everyone to feel the same way about it. We're praying to God, we feel this way about your name. We think you are an incredible, wonderful God. And we want everyone else to follow that command. That's kind of the way the language works. We want everyone else, we're praying to God, that everyone else would follow the command to say, your name is fantastic. You are an incredible God. That's the first thing we're going to pray. We're going to pray something about God being honoured. The second request there, just at the beginning of verse 10, is your kingdom come. And this is one of those prayers that we will only pray for a period of time. We're only praying this prayer between when Jesus has risen from the dead until he comes again. When he comes again, we do not need to pray this anymore. Because at that point, the kingdom will have fully come. In one sense, the kingdom is already here. The kingdom of God, uh, arrived when Jesus arrived. We, we've called the, the, the title of the series, the kingdom. And so the kingdom is already here. Jesus is the Lord of that kingdom. He's the one who was killed to pay for the, for the sins of the, of the people in the kingdom, the citizens, for their rebellion and their wrong. And they believe that he, he rose from the dead after that. And they follow him as their king. But not everybody follows him as their king. Not everybody is in the kingdom. And so so this prayer could be could be this part of the prayer could be interpreted a a number of different ways. The commentators have debated that, but I I think I would I would go with the the suggestion that, that this is the command that everyone would know the name of Jesus, that everyone would be in the kingdom, that those who don't yet know him would follow this command and enter the kingdom. So that it would be complete. So that everyone who was supposed to be in would be in. Uh, because everything is being put under Jesus' command. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but let me just read to you from uh, Ephesians chapter 1. You may remember this if uh, from our series on Ephesians. Uh, a while ago now, I suppose. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 9. And he, God, that is, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Get this, to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Everything's been brought together under the head of Christ. That is the kingdom. That will be complete when he comes again. And we pray your kingdom come. The third request then is that, and that just follows afterwards, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A couple of things to notice here. First of all, notice God's will is done perfectly in heaven already. So that just reminds us there's no sin, there's nothing wrong in heaven. Everything is good in heaven but the prayer is that that would be true on earth as well now there's two this two you've got to be careful here there's two ways we think about god's will two senses here in one sense that prayer is always true uh, because you can't stop god from doing something if he wants to do it uh, we use our he will use our imperfect efforts he will use our Uh, The things that we mean for bad, sometimes when we want to hurt someone, he's going to use all that. He's going to reorder it and he's going to use it to fulfil his purposes. He's going to use it for good. We might mean it for bad, he's going to use it for good. In that sense, his will is always done. His plan from eternity will be fulfilled exactly as he wants it. So that prayer is always answered. When you pray that, if you pray that, your prayer is answered. It will always be answered. In another sense, God wants us to be more like Jesus, to listen to his teaching and to follow him, and and has made that a command. And in that sense, God's will has not yet been done on earth. Not everybody is following his commands. Not everybody wants to be that way. That is, his commands are not followed on earth as they are in heaven. So I want to suggest to you from God's will in that sense, and I, I think that's the sense in this prayer here. This prayer is that everyone would follow the command to be more like Jesus. So, uh, this first section, uh, we know we're saying that uh, we're praying that God's name would be honoured, that everyone would trust Jesus as their saviour, and everyone would be more try to be more like Him. That is, the, that is the sense of that first part of the of the prayer. But then we go on to the to the second part. And again, there's another three requests in there. Uh, Let's have a look at those uh, in verse 11. Uh, And there we pray, give us our daily bread. Give us what we need. Give us what we need today for our existence. That might not be actually bread. That could be other things we eat it could be non foody things it could be what we need in terms of money it could be what we need in terms of relationships it could be what we need whatever that prayer is give us what we need today we don't want to have to worry we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks time um, but also don't give us more than we need just give us what we need for today well, yes, it's true. God sometimes gives us way more than we need. Sometimes He's a generous God in that way, um, but we don't ask for that. If we have more than we need, the temptation is there that we might forget God. And I think I think often we see that with in our Western society. We see people becoming more affluent. They have more money. They are safer, and they go, "I don't need God. I'm sorted out. I, I, I can trust." I can trust in myself, I can cope. I don't need God. And we're going to talk about that uh, as well in, a, in a, next week uh, and the week after. Um, on the other hand, if we don't have enough, we might be tempted to break God's law. If we don't have enough, we might be tempted to steal or to get what we need in other ways. And so, that, so we're looking for that sweet spot where we have enough, not too much, not too little, we have enough. And we place our trust in our Heavenly Father to provide that. We look to Him and not to ourselves. But also notice that there that is plural. Give us today our daily bread. So... In one sense, we're play, praying this in a, perhaps in a family setting, in a community setting, in a church setting, maybe even in one sense, in, in the sense of our country, or even the world, in one sense. You know, give us what we need. This is not a prayer necessarily of individual, individual fulfilment. It's about giving people what they need. The second request, then, in this section is is to is to forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. More traditional language, we used to say, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive our trespasses against as you, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Trespass, debtor, all kind of old words. Debtor is a financial word. As an accountant, I understand the word debtor. Uh, so I'm very happy about that. It's somebody who owes you something. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, your debts are what is uh, owed to you, and your debtors are the people who owe it to you. Uh, anybody else who wants further accounting training, please see me afterwards. I can talk to you about uh, double-entry bookkeeping and another, another range of very boring subjects. Uh, but uh, so debtors are the people who owe us money in that way. Uh, or in this case, we owe God. Uh, and just so is saying, you know, Lord, will you forgive us for the things we have done, the, the ways we have angered you, in the same way that we have forgiven others who have angered us. Why should we pray for that? Well, let's face it, newsflash, we sin every day. We all do. We all sin every day. And so we ask to be forgiven regularly from our God. If you're, if you're here and you are a Christian, yes, there is a sense in which your sins have been paid for in full. That is true. That is absolutely correct. When you become a Christian, your sins are totally forgiven. But how ungrateful is it? How presumptuous is it? How full of pride it is for us to say... Oh, well, uh, it doesn't matter because I'm forgiven. You know, it's okay. Because the temptation then is to actually just do it more. If we understand how angry we've made God, even though we're forgiven, how angry we make God when we sin, we would not say that. That would be a horrible, a horrible thing to say. In actual fact, we we understand perhaps even better how angry we've made God when we do things wrong. We say, "I am." So sorry, Lord. I am so sorry for the things I have done. Even today, I do not, I did not mean to. Please help me to be more like your son. Because we have to acknowledge there's no other way that debt is going to be wiped out. There's no other way because we've anchored God. He's the one who has to, has to forgive us. But then there's that other bit, of, as we were saying about, as we have forgiven Others. That's that attitude of forgiving others. We cannot, and there are are examples of this elsewhere in the New Testament, you know, we cannot plead for God's forgiveness and then not forgive others. Uh, We need 10,000 times more forgiveness from God than we need, than other people need from us. It's that attitude. In our hearts. So we talked about uh, what we need, we talked about uh, being uh, forgiven, Lord. and finally we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oops. Uh, as a child in Sunday school, I thought this was lead us not into temptation. Uh, I wondered what was so terrible about this railway establishment and and why this station in London was such a terrible place to go to and and why it was so filled, why why I shouldn't be led there. How you would be led there, I'm not quite sure, but why I shouldn't be led into temptation? It is, of course, leading us into temptation. Um, And we pray that because we know that we too often fall when tempted. When tempted, we we too often give in to that temptation. And so we pray, yes, we've already prayed, Lord, your will be done. And as we sang about in the previous song, we know that God will allow us to be tempted from time to time. Notice how I said that really carefully. God does not tempt us. He allows us to be tempted. He will allow us to be tempted from time to time and it is the devil who will do the tempting he is called the tempter he delights he loves to trip up Christians and then when he's tripped them up what does he do? he goes yeah and you did it wrong you failed again you failed again he has been doing that since the beginning of time and he is a very nasty piece of work but if you're here and you are a Christian the price for that has already been paid Our identity is in Christ, not in the devil. We follow Jesus. We do not follow the devil. We do not follow the world. So this is no light thing when we pray. We're saying we do not want to be exposed to that. We know we will be, but we know that it is hard. And we say, please, do not expose us to that. When we are exposed to that, the Bible tells us we have the resources to resist, but we know that we don't always, which is why we pray it, I guess. Again, notice this is a communal prayer. Lead us not into temptation. A family, a church, a community. Lord, don't put us to the test. Now, uh, at this point, I just want to give you a health and safety warning. Okay, I've done this a few times before. Forgive me if you've heard this before. This is a health and safety warning. Uh, anybody here other than me and Richard have an electric guitar? Anyone other than myself, Richard? No. Okay. When you buy an electric guitar, there's a there's a label attached to it that says, "Do not play your electric guitar in the bath." Now, now, who would actually imagine that you were going to play your electric guitar? In the bath. This is apparently, by the way, where the song Crazy Little Thing Called Love by Queen was written, I'm told. But that was an acoustic guitar, not an electric guitar. Okay? For some reason, you know, packets of peanuts may contain nuts. You know, yes, sometimes things uh, appear obvious, and yet we feel we have to say them again. So, there's a health warning with, with... what we've been talking about here in terms of prayer. Do not be too legalistic. What we mean by that is do not, do not think you have to say exactly these words and only these words. Do not say it has to be exactly in this way. Uh, Jesus says this is how you should pray. This is an example. This is a template. It is not that you have to say all these words. These words are often said in church. Great. It's a it's a wonderful prayer and it's very uh, useful and it's and it does all the things it's supposed to do and it's great. But you do not just have to say this and only this. Uh, we are we are praying to a father. How do you talk to your father? How, you know, you say to your father, Hi, "How are you doing?" You're not formal in that way. We know it's a good thing to do because Jesus often did it, but we don't have to be in this formula. So, let's, let's wrap this up. Jesus had, had given, has given us here in, in terms of giving, verses 2 to 4, praying in terms of verses 5 to 15, and fasting from 6s down to 18. He's given us three examples of how religious people, how people who believe in God, can get it wrong. How they can look to other people instead of to God, how they can be hypocritical in that way we're going to talk more next week about an alternative to that we're going to talk more as we go through this about a genuine faith a genuine uh, genuine worship uh, yes, do good deeds, absolutely do good deeds, yes, give. Pray and fast. Yes, you might well be doing those things in public. But if you are doing those things in public, be careful. If you don't have to do it in public, do it in private. Because that resists that temptation. Talking about prayer. My prayer for us this evening is that we'd come to know what what Tim Keller meant. when he says that prayer is where our, our theology turns into the actual experience of our lives. Where we actually experience God and know him in that way. Let's pray together.